Good morning, friends. Welcome to the sermon portion of our online service here this morning. I'm glad that you are with us. Today, I will be preaching on the theme running through the texts read in the service, and I will be focusing in on the story of Moses and the burning bush. And I'm going to start this sermon with just a little bit of a question. I wonder, have you ever seen a burning bush? I think that personally, I am perhaps just one of a few people who can say that I have. And here's how it happened. It was the summer after my senior year of college. I was working at Cascades Camp for the summer as a leader for the counselors in training and I was exhausted. I wasn't exhausted because of my camp duties, though I certainly cleaned more toilets that summer than perhaps I ever will again in my entire life. No, I was exhausted because I had just finished a very difficult year. I had finished my senior year at Whitworth University and it had been touch and go whether I was going to finish or not. I had majored in music, but I had lost my love for it through the toxic environment that sometimes goes along with musical competitiveness. And to add to that, a particularly terrible professor who later resigned because of her abuse of students. And then to add to that, my body revolted due to all of that stress. And with all of that, you get an exhausted and sad Ellie who felt silenced and beaten down and who wasn't singing much, if at all. And if you know me, you know that if I am not singing, something is up. I needed care. I was trying to care for so many other people at camp that summer and I was neglecting my own heart. I wasn't listening to my body when she told me that I needed care and I needed rest. But someone else, someone else was looking after me. Two someones, in fact. During that summer, Mike Bothman was in charge of the kitchen at Cascades Camp and Krista Bothman was in charge of guest services and they, they cared for me. Krista would invite me over during breaks for some tea, and then she would play the piano and invite me to sing with her. She is an incredible pianist. Mike and Krista would have me over for pie. And then at the end of the summer, they invited me to be the kitchen intern for the next year's camp off season. Now, when they first offered this position to me, I said to myself, now that is something I will never do. <laughs> I am an extrovert and camp in the off season seemed pretty lonely and quiet. I wasn't a good cook, so working in the kitchen also didn't seem like a very good fit. But as Mike and Krista kept asking with such kindness, as they told me such fun stories about what camp winters were like, I told them something like this. I said, all right, if I see a burning bush, I will be the camp intern. And let me tell you, Mike and Krista, they came through. A few days later, they invited me over for tea and for pie. And in the middle of our conversation, Mike brought out a burning bush. Now this burning bush, it wasn't a real burning bush per se. I would show it to you. Mike and Krista gave me this burning bush. I would show you, but I have misplaced it but I'll describe it to you. It wasn't a rhododendron on fire. It wasn't an azalea. No, it was simply a little machine that blew air into cloth flames with a cool little light. And there it was, my sign. I don't know if I believed in God's leading us to specific jobs at specific times. I was certain that God let us choose too, but this, this seemed pretty clear in that moment. 
I had been preparing to teach music that next year or lead worship at a church, but since I was exhausted in grief and had lost my love for singing from the abuse from that voice teacher, I didn't have any place to go. I was too tired to job search. I didn't have anything lined up. I didn't know how I was gonna provide for myself and my grief was so overpowering, I didn't know how to begin. And here in front of me was a burning bush and I felt resigned. And so I said, yes, I joined Cascades Camp as their reluctant kitchen intern. And that year, that year was completely unexpected. It was ridiculous, honestly. I was surprised often and greatly at how I saw God. I saw God in the sunset over the horse pasture, reflecting pink on the glaciers of Mount Rainier as I sat in my little trailer at the end of a long day. I saw God in my coworkers who poured themselves into the, even the most menial tasks for the sake of those who visited and who served guests like they were kings and queens. I couldn't help but laugh with joy as my high school employees blasted Lady Gaga's new album while they washed dishes. I learned to get up early and bake bread, mixing the yeast in water that was just hot enough but not too hot, learning how to get the perfect consistency so that the cinnamon rolls would be perfectly risen. And slowly and surely, my heart healed from what had come before in that terrible year of college. It all felt so very unexpected. I didn't think I was gonna work at camp over the year and like it. It was cold there in the winter and we didn't always heat the giant kitchen, but I bundled up and I made bread. I didn't expect to enjoy living in a tiny old trailer in the woods. I didn't expect to fall in love with the mountains again and even sing some with Krista when she would invite me over for pie and piano. I didn't expect to receive care through the kindness of a generous camp chef and hospitality manager. I didn't expect the burning bush. I didn't expect healing, but there it was. There was God. And perhaps the same is true for the Hebrew people here in our story too in Exodus. And perhaps the same is true for Moses. Healing and liberation came for them in the most unlikely of places. I'm sure Moses didn't expect what was coming for him as he was tending his father-in-law's sheep. Moses himself had had a string of bad experiences too. As the story goes, Moses was born to a Hebrew woman during the genocide of Hebrew baby boys. The Hebrews were enslaved by Egypt and the rulers of Egypt wanted to stay in power and keep their slaves. When the Hebrew people kept growing in number, the Egyptians got nervous. They didn't want these baby boys to grow up and overthrow them. So they commanded midwives to kill the baby boys who were born to stave off any uprisings and to quell their fears for the future where they might not be in power. But Moses' mother and sister, they were resourceful people. And when Moses was born, they placed Moses in a basket and put him in the Nile River. I'm sure they did so with such fear and only as a last resort to save his precious life. Mothers and fathers, I bet you can't imagine putting your baby in a basket and floating your babies down the river. I can't even imagine putting my roommate's dog in a basket and pushing her down a creek. Moses' mother and sister must have been very desperate. And as the story goes, Pharaoh's own daughter, the daughter of the king who oppressed the Hebrews and who wanted Moses dead, this daughter, she found Moses floating in the basket, took him into the palace and raised him up. Moses had little knowledge of his people, though, and his people, the Hebrews, had little knowledge of him. 
He certainly had very few skills to make things better for them at all. He didn't know anything about them. And when he grew up, when he went outside the palace and saw Hebrews being beaten and killed by those who enslaved them, when he saw it, when he spoke up against it, when he tried, when he fought back and killed an overseer for hurting his people, he realized that he had to go on the run. And in the desert where he ran, he got married, he ended up tending sheep for his father-in-law. And I imagine Moses, too, was experiencing some exhaustion. Exhaustion from being on the run, exhaustion from watching his people suffer and being unsure about what to do about it, exhaustion from hiding out in the wilderness. Moses needed things to change. The Hebrew people, too, needed change. And in preparing for this sermon this week and last, I read a commentary, my, one of my roommate's commentaries, a commentary by Godfrey Ashby, a bishop in South Africa. And in opening the commentary, I was a little shocked and very delighted to see that Desmond Tutu had written the foreword. I knew good things would be contained in this tiny book, and this giant of the faith opens this commentary with this quote, he says. I have sometimes wondered if the affluent and the powerful, those who are successful and to some extent therefore self-sufficient, find it difficult to make an opening for grace, for the initiative of God, which ends up with a free, unearned, and indeed unearnable gift. Is it a coincidence that the Bible was written, as it were, out of suffering to bring succor and comfort to those who are themselves victims? Can those who are strong and successful even hear the Bible speaking as deep speaking to deep? I'm sure they can, since the redeemed clearly include many from this group. Perhaps we should say that it is very difficult for grace to find an entrance with the powerful and for them to hear the scriptures in quite the same way as the hungry, the poor, the oppressed, and the scum of the earth. He says later, the book of Exodus depicts a God who forever takes initiative on behalf of those who do not deserve it. And Desmond Tutu is saying, I think, that God is perhaps a bit unexpected in how God worked with the Hebrew people. And perhaps, as God is always working on behalf of those at the bottom, and it is when we are at the bottom that perhaps we are the most on the lookout for any piece of grace and goodness we can scrounge up, Perhaps it is true that people on the bottom are more attuned to God's presence among us. Perhaps when we are on the bottom, when we are hurting and searching for any sort of care, perhaps there is when we can most clearly see God. And I got to thinking, perhaps it becomes hard to be open for the unexpected ways that God gives grace when we aren't in need of it so much when we aren't looking, when things are good, perhaps we feel as if the system as it is, is working for us in those moments, maybe it is. If Moses had only been kept up in the Egyptian palace, had he never learned that he was a Hebrew or seen his people be violently oppressed, maybe if he didn't have to run to begin with. If I had had the perfect college experience and never had that awful voice teacher or lost my love for singing, if I had had a job all lined up for me after graduation, perhaps then I wouldn't have been able to see God's grace for me in odd places because I wouldn't be in need of it so desperately. Perhaps Moses, and maybe me, wouldn't have been open to seeing God's saving work on our behalf in ways ridiculous and unexpected. I think what Desmond Tutu says is true. 
Perhaps when we are down and out, hurting and alone, that is when we might see burning bushes. Whether they are desert bushes on fire and not consumed, the sunset hitting a tree just right, or a tiny fake fire given to us by friends and mentors in moments when we need them. Perhaps that is when we can see God most clearly in unexpected moments. Perhaps our vision becomes more keen in moments of pain, and maybe then we can be open to the unexpected. I think God is there in those ways all along, of course, but perhaps when we are the most desperate, when we know there is no other way, perhaps it is then that our hearts are most open to God's wildness. Because what else would we do? We don't see anything else happening. We feel a little hopeless. Maybe that moment is when we are open to God's utter and complete weirdness, like talking to us through burning bushes. I wonder if you, like me, go through stages in all of this. Some days maybe you, like me, are feeling good and assume God is going to show up in the normal ways, through the Bible, through our devotions in the morning, through church and through pastors and through prayer. And certainly God does show up in these ways sometimes. But then also, maybe you, like me, when you're feeling alone and sad, feeling exhausted and unsure, hopeless and confused, maybe then you cry out to God and are open to seeing things differently. Opening, open to seeing God in unexpected ways because in that moment, what else have you got? Maybe in the pandemic you feel this. Maybe you wonder when the pandemic might subside so that we can hug each other again. Maybe in your loneliness, you begin to see God in new ways on a Zoom call in a hummingbird, in Instagram posts, in sunsets. Maybe healing comes unexpectedly for you in odd places. When you are afraid of pandemics and other illnesses that take dear ones we love or threaten their lives, you feel at the end of yourself and you look for the grace anywhere you can find it. Maybe too, as you've heard of the shooting of Jacob Blake, shot seven times in the back by police and in front of his own children, as you hear of him struggling to stay alive, as you hear about private citizens taking up arms against their fellow humans and being congratulated by the police for doing so, maybe you then cry out and wonder when things will get better. Maybe then you start looking for God in unexpected places because where else, what else do we have? Maybe, hopefully, in these times, we can see God in those unexpected places. Maybe as we grieve the shooting of Jacob Blake, maybe then we see God in the rage of people, of God's people. Perhaps when we are aching, maybe that is when we begin to see prophets in unexpected places, like in the masked faces of protesters and the angry eyes of our own youth who are grieving. It is unexpected, but when we identify with those grieving and grieve ourselves, as we break bread together and follow those oppressed, only then do we unexpectedly begin to see that our parameters of acceptable protest go out of the window, just like Jesus's as he overthrew tables in the temple. Maybe then, even, we can see the burning of some buildings as a burning bush, showing us that things haven't been right, aren't right now, and won't be right unless we as a country do something about it. Maybe even these unacceptable forms of protest, for what form of protest is ever considered acceptable, we begin to see God and we begin to see God's unexpected ways towards liberation and healing. 
And in the words of the beaver in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, our God is not tame, but our God is good. And for those hurting, for me in a small way as a college student grieving abuse and a loss of a voice, for Moses in a huge way, almost killed, pushed out from his people and on the run, for the Hebrew people enslaved by Egypt, murdered for dissension, for all of us in COVID, wondering when things will end and when we can hug each other again, for Black America continually being traumatized publicly by the police, this breaking of the status quo for these people, it is good. This unexpectedness of God is a breath of fresh air. It is rain in the desert. It is sun in the middle of a Pacific Northwest winter. It is exactly what is needed. God showing up in unexpected places. I know so many of your hearts are aching right now for so many different reasons. I know many of you ache because of what I mentioned above. Many of you for those things and other things entirely. And what I wanna say is this, the good news of our text today is that God doesn't come in expected ways always, or even usually. Our God is weird and tends to show up with goodness and healing and liberation in the weirdest and most unexpected of ways. So when your expected ways of meeting God, of receiving grace have fallen through, don't give up hope. God invited a man with a known stutter, a man unknown to his people, a murderer, a man who ran away from his past. God invited that man, Moses, to join God and save his people, his people who were stiff-necked and disobedient, also unexpected group to save. God asked Moses to take a stand and free his people through an unexpected burning bush on fire, a bush on fire of all things. And Moses did it. In a culture where taking off one's shoes was a sign of respect as you entered someone's dwelling, Moses removed his shoes to humbly enter into God's presence. And we are invited to take off our shoes in respect of God's presence in unexpected places and ways too. In a world that calls us to be stingy and protect what is ours, our Romans text invites us to be generous in love and lavish that goodness everywhere. When everything told the disciples and tells us to take control, to seek power and fame and notoriety, Jesus invites us to take up our crosses, a first century equivalent of the death penalty, like an electric chair, to take that up and become humble, follow Jesus. In a world where there are expected ways to see God, we are invited to look deeper and see God's grace everywhere. It is all ridiculous. It is all unexpected, but that is our God. So this week, may you find God in unexpected places. I won't even begin to mention them here, for how am I to know? God is the creative one. God is the one who uses sunsets and mountains and chefs and camp hosts, music and pie, burning bushes and stutters, children and youth, men and women, protests and burning buildings, broken people, stiff-necked people, disobedient people, to bring about wholeness and life. God even uses the most ridiculous and unexpected things to, for our healing to bring us closer to God's self. And I pray this week and always that God might open all of our eyes to see God's work, God's hands at work, even in the most unexpected of places. And as we see it, as we see God's unexpected and ridiculous methods, may we, like Moses, take off our shoes 
and humbly enter into God's presence.